So this morning, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6. We are going to talk this morning just a little bit about water baptism. Water baptism. Amen. Now, most might look at that subject matter and say, well, water baptism, it's, I, I understand that subject. And, uh, you know, I don't know that you could preach a whole sermon on water baptism. I mean, there's a couple points there. I know it, Sister Joe, you're right. And, you know, but a lot of people look at that and say, well, you just, what's to it? You know, you just, if you want to get baptized, you just get baptized and, and that's it. Uh, but there's a lot to it. You know, God, uh, you know, puts a lot of weight on water baptism. Amen. And so there's a lot of questions with water baptism. You know, I mean, are, are, is sprinkling okay? Is it, you know, is it water? Does it have to be water? I've heard that, you know, does it have to be water or can I just, can it be something? I don't know how else you would get baptized in air maybe. I'm not really, I'm not really sure but uh, what they were asking, but I've heard it. <laughs> I've had that question. Um, sprinkling, immersion, you know, what, uh, you know, what is it all about? <clears throat> and so we're just going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Remember, we talked a lot about unity and, and being unified, and uh, we may not, uh, you know, on every small point of the Bible understand it the same way, but at least we have to be going the same direction, right? Got to be on the same train, going the same direction to the same city, all right? We may not all be sitting in the same seat, uh, but we're going the same way, okay? And we understand each other that we're going toward the mind of Christ. Baptism, Romans chapter 6. Starting at verse 4, I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Uh, Some of you may have the King James Version. Some of you may have other versions. But my version says this, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. Next verse. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So we see in this verse of scripture... Some may say, well, you know, this pretty much sums up a lot of it. There's a lot more to it than this, than just this. But if you read this passage of scripture, you'll see how much importance God puts on water baptism. You sort of see a purpose underlying in this passage of scripture for water baptism. From this verse of scripture, I believe, comes the thought process and the saying that water baptism is an outward show of an inward change. Anybody ever heard that? Some of, some of those who have been around church for a while, you know, who talk to people who speak Christianese, yeah, you know, that language that we speak sometimes, I get a witness to that and different, our vernacular as Christians, uh, that's one of those phrases, baptism is an outward show of an inward change. In other words, baptism doesn't save you, but it is, uh, you know, sort of a sign uh, that you've been changed on the inside. And in this passage of scripture... Uh, we see that Paul is talking to the Romans and he is talking about how baptism is really, uh, you, you're connected with Christ. As, just like he died on the cross 
was buried and rose again, we're not going to do that physically because he did that for us already. But how we can be tied to him is through baptism. We are buried with him through baptism and we rise again, right? Water baptism is part of God's full provision for the salvation of mankind. There can be no full revelation of Jesus Christ without water baptism, and we'll see that. Now, what I'm talking about this morning is I'm not talking about getting into heaven. I'm not talking about just the initial part of the salvation process. What we're talking about is gaining a full revelation of the manifestation of Jesus Christ and who he is. We're talking about being part of the body. We're talking about being part of the family, walking in revelation. Now, some may believe that, well, listen, if you're not water baptized, you're not saved and you're not going to heaven. Well, here's what I could tell you with that. I would say to pray and see what God reveals to you on that subject. Personally, I would have a hard time believing that. Because Romans 10, 9 and 10 says what? For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now you cannot take one scripture out of the Bible and use it by itself for anything, including salvation. I realize that. But I also have a hard time believing that if someone were on their deathbed and you rushed to their side at the hospital and were witnessing to them, about the Lord. And they said, you know what? I know it's, I'm on my deathbed. I know my diagnosis. I'm on my way out, but I want to give my life to the Lord. And you pray the prayer of salvation with them. Repent, believe the Lord in your heart, confess it with your mouth, that God would say, well, that's good, but you didn't have an opportunity to get to water, so I'm not going to accept you into heaven. I don't know. God knows, but I would have a hard time believing that. But that's up to you. I believe that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, that the first part of the salvation process has taken place. However, to get a full revelation of Jesus Christ, to be in covenant relationship, which we're going to see, you must, you must be baptized. John 131 says this, John said, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore I come baptizing with water. He said, I didn't know him. Now, when John says I didn't know him, he's not talking about the man Jesus Christ. This is his cousin, okay? They're cousins. So they probably grew up some, and they're six months apart probably grew up in the same vicinity, maybe even had some sleepovers. I don't know. They're cousins. They were in the same city at this time because Jesus later came to John to be baptized, didn't he? So he knew who John was. John knew who he was in the flesh. So when he says, I knew him not, he's saying, I did not realize who he really was. I didn't have a revelation of his manifestation. 
Therefore, because of that, because he must be manifest to Israel, because he must be revealed, his true self must be revealed to all of Israel, I come baptizing with water. Do you see the correlation? Right? You with me so far? Because he needs to be revealed, I come baptizing with water. So revelation of Je- a full revelation of Jesus Christ only comes as a part of water baptism. At his own baptism, Jesus Christ said, baptism is necessary in order to fulfill all righteousness. That's in Matthew chapter 3, if you want to read that. Water baptism was commanded by Jesus. We'll read Matthew 28, we'll read Mark 16. Jesus himself was baptized. Is it important? Jesus and his disciples baptized believers. Peter preached baptism. Paul himself was baptized and later taught water baptism. Baptism is important, folks. On the day of Pentecost, the crowd convicted of their sin and desiring to repent, frantically asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? This is in Acts chapter 2. What must we do? We are cut to the heart by your words. We are convicted of sin. What must we do? Peter answered and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What must we do? Indicating once again the importance of water baptism in establishing a right relationship with God. Now, some of you, maybe most of you, have already been water baptized. And that's okay. There may be some who got water baptized and didn't really realize what happened when that happened to you. Well, today we're going to find out what happened. Water baptism actually has its roots in the Old Testament. Did you know that? There's so much more to this thing than just going down and coming up. To fully understand it, we must go back to the Old Testament practices that God established. And the first thing that we have to realize is that God established relationship with his people through covenant. Genesis 15 tells us in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And as a result, this covenant relationship cemented the relationship between God and man. There was a covenant made. If you go, let's go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 17. In fact, some of these, I'm going to give, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you over the next few minutes. Some of it uh, we're going to go to and read just so we can eyeball it. Some of it you might just jot down so you can go to it later. But this is an important part of the foundation of what we're going to talk about here today. Genesis chapter 17. I'm just going to start at verse 1. If you have it, say I have it. All right, I don't have this one on the board, so you have to have your Bible or your device or trust me. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be father of many nations. No longer, now listen, shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Skip down to verse 8. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Here's the covenant. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any stranger who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now listen, verse 14, listen to what he says. An uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. He goes on to say, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. In this passage of Scripture, we see God establishing a covenant with Father Abraham. What he does to establish that covenant is he says, you must be circumcised. And as a result of that circumcision, now as a result of my covenant, I give you a new name. You see that God changed Abram's name to Abraham. He added an A-H to it. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah, adding the A-H. Well, if you look over in Psalms 68.4, you'll see that the name of God included this A-H. In the, in the old Hebrew, it's Y-A-H. And we've upgraded it to J-A-H. But the Y and the J being silent, the A-H is part of God's name. So what did God do here? The Almighty God gave his own name to Abraham and to Sarah. They were never referred to as Abram and Sarai again. He didn't just change their name, folks. He gave them his name. You see, it wasn't just a name that was significant that meant something. It wasn't just, you know, I give you the name Israel or I give you the name John and that name means this as the Jews used to do and as we do sometimes today. 
It was his own name. When else do you see that? Someone is born and given a name that's someone else's. When a child is born today, they are usually given the name of their father, the last name. My son was born. My daughters were born. Their first names, Michael, Nia, but they have my name, Carter. They're part of me, my DNA, my lineage, my heritage. They're given our name, Carter, Michael and Dietra Carter. We pass our name down to them. Father God was doing the same thing with Abraham and Sarah. He established a covenant with them. And in that covenant, this is important to know, he gave them his name. And if you were not circumcised, you were cut off from his covenant people. Since Abraham received his new name on the day of his circumcision, all male children would receive their names on the day of their circumcision. John the Baptist didn't receive his name until he was circumcised. Jesus himself, if you read in Luke chapter 2, did not receive his name though it was prophesied by the angel it was not officially given to Jesus until on the eighth day he was taken to the temple and he was circumcised. Jesus himself was not given his name until circumcision. Then he himself was in covenant with the Father. Listen, after God takes this very seriously, he takes covenant very seriously and he insists people walk in it. After 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians... God delivered Israel from the Egyptians. Why? Because of his covenant that he had with them. They were covenant people with them. After the Lord sent Moses to, to Egypt to deliver the Israelites out of slavery, Moses almost lost his life because his son wasn't in covenant. His son wasn't circumcised. God said he sent an angel to kill Moses. You believe that? Sent an angel to kill Moses. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 4. Joshua chapter 5, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God would not permit his people to go into the promised land until every male was circumcised. They had failed. They had forgot the sign of the covenant. Now the sign of the covenant is not what made the covenant. But it's what God commanded and being obedient to that. Okay, remember this. Being in proper covenant relationship with God always precedes receiving any type of inheritance. You see, if you were a male child and your father and mother died before you were eight days old, you never had an opportunity to get in covenant relationship with your father. And thereby, you were not, did not have a right to the inheritance, though you had the same DNA. What happened was the inheritance went to the next sibling. Now, that sibling had a right then to say, okay, I'm going to give it to you despite the fact that you weren't in covenant. But by legal rights, the boy did not have a right to the inheritance because he was not in covenant relationship. You don't think God takes this thing serious? But once circumcision happened, 
Once the son was given the name, he had a right to everything that belonged to the father. He had a right to all of the inheritance. Proper covenant relationship. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophet spoke of a new covenant that was coming. Moses prophesied about it in Deuteronomy. In fact, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Jeremiah prophesied about it. Ezekiel prophesied about a new heart that was coming. See, you must understand that a new covenant requires a new circumcision. Are you with me so far on getting the name and being in a covenant relationship with the Lord? The part that circumcision plays in it, right? Circumcised, you get the name on that day, okay? And once you get the name, you have a right to all of the inheritance, okay? If you don't have the name, if you're not circumcised, you're cut off, all right? We established that. New covenant requires a new circumcision, The circumcision of the new covenant is no longer a natural circumcision of the flesh, but a spiritual circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 30, look at verse 6. Look at what Moses prophesied to his people. He said, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with that thou mayest live. He's saying that there's coming a time where the foreskin of your flesh will no longer be circumcised, but it will be the foreskin of your heart because there will be a new covenant. He told him in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he said, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. You see, circumcision of the flesh could not change the heart of man. All of Israel's religious rituals and ceremonial laws were only concerned with what? The outward appearance. The outward appearance of man's conduct. Not the attitude of the heart. And that's what God is really getting to. They were intended to be examples, figures, illustrations, types and shadows. Okay? Of what is to come. Many things are like that in the Old Testament. This life would be clearly demonstrated to all humanity by the spirit-led life of Jesus Christ himself. For us to live our lives as Jesus did, a spiritual circumcision that involves the heart has to take place. It is necessary. You'll never live like Jesus unless your heart is circumcised and you're in covenant relationship with him. We've already established that a full revelation of Jesus will never happen without baptism, without water baptism, because it creates a circumcision of the heart. We're going to see that. Now, in this new covenant, this new testament, circumcision involves the heart, and it is of a spiritual nature. See, in the Old Testament, God used the example of a young boy and circumcising the flesh of his foreskin. But it's only a type and shadow because what was to come now, both men and women can enjoy the benefits of personal covenant relationship with God. He never meant it to be exclusive to men, but what he had to do was give an example. That's how God does. 
He gives an example. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 say this. Listen now, it says, For as many, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the first part of this passage of Scripture. Verse 27 says, he's very clear, for as many of you as have been what? Baptized into Christ. You have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized. Listen to Romans chapter 2 verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. And not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. You're not a Jew which is one that is circumcised outwardly. That was a type and shadow. God is saying I was giving you an example of what I'm doing to your heart. I'm giving you a physical illustration of a spiritual operation that will take place. Christians often suppose that, well, when they get saved, when they give their life to the Lord, when they first repent of their sins and they're washed by the blood of Jesus, that they must automatically be circumcised in their heart. But that theology, saints, is flawed. When does circumcision of the heart take place? Well, let's look at it. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Another exercise in, in our Bible. We'll learn where all the books of the Bible is here pretty soon. Christians sometimes think, well, I got saved. I answered the altar call. Colossians chapter 2. I answered the call and I went up and I repented. And I gave my life to the Lord. It was a great event. I was emotional. I shed tears. You know, and so now everything's all right. I don't have to do anything else. That's it. You know, I'm, that's it. I don't have to go any further. I've made it into heaven. If that were the case, why would God just not kill us right there and take us on into heaven? But you've got a life to live, and that's here on earth. Colossians chapter 2, go down to verse 11. says this, In whom also ye are circumcised. I'm reading this out of the King James. With the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. What is the circumcision of Christ? Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. King James says in which you were raised with him through the faith in the working of God. I like the King James there. It says in the operation of God. God did an operation on you when you were baptized. 
when you were buried with him in baptism and he raised you up. It is during water baptism that an operation of God takes place in your heart. It is not just going down into water, getting wet, coming up and drying off and saying hallelujah. But God actually does an operation. This operation is the circumcision of the heart. This operation is just like that eighth day when that male child was circumcised. They celebrated because he was given his name and he had full rights to all of the inheritance of the father. And guess what? When you are baptized, biblical baptism, come on, you are buried with him in baptism and raised up, you have, you are circumcised, you have his name, and you have a right to all of the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just as circumcision of the flesh put Israel in old covenant relationship with God, water baptism and the ensuing circumcision of the heart, the ensuing operation there, puts us in new covenant relationship with God through Christ Jesus. So now we're in covenant relationship with God. God did it. God cut the covenant. He cut away the foreskin of our heart. Covenant relationship. So you may look at all that and say, wow, you know, that's okay. That's a little more than what I thought water baptism was for some of us. You know, I knew that it was, I had to get saved. I knew Jesus said something about getting baptized and I see people getting baptized and I know we celebrate, but I didn't really realize that it was actually giving me the name of the Lord. So now I am Michael Carter Jesus, right? I have the name. That's, I'm, I'm part of the family. I'm not a hired servant. I'm not a hired hand. This is why Jesus gave that parable about the prodigal son. You know, part of it was when the prodigal son came back and said, look, I, I know I messed up. I know I messed up. I was with the pigs, all right? I mean, I, I messed up. So look, I, I'm not trying to get back you know, to where I was, I just want to be a servant. I just want to be off the streets. I just want to come in the house, clean. And his father said, please, you are still my son. You are in covenant relationship with me. You were circumcised on the eighth day. All you had to do was come back. Now, you had to come back. But as soon as you come back, you're in the house. You're restored. I'm putting you back. We're killing the fatted calf. We're getting the robe and putting it on you. You still have the name. That's what covenant relationship does. Now, again, I always have to, re I love Paul. And I always have to refer to Paul in Romans around chapter 7 and chapter 8. Should I take advantage of the grace of God because I know that I'm in covenant relationship with him? God forbid. Because the prodigal son was eating with pigs. No telling what God might take you through. Why go through that? Be like the older son, just stay in the house, but have a good attitude about it. Come on now, have a good attitude. Now, as we said a little earlier, there's more. So you might think that that's it, a little bit more. As stated earlier, children receive their father's name, right, on the day of their circumcision. Just as there is a natural identification with a name, there is also spiritual identification with a name. Any child in Israel that did not bear that name was considered illegitimate. Mm. 
did not bear his father's name, could not obtain any inheritance. Now, desiring for us to obtain inheritance from the father, Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize new believers. He commissioned them in Matthew 28, 19. You know it. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Another version says making disciples, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And before I delve into this part of water baptism, I want to say this, that People who are baptized, as long as it's biblical baptism, I believe that God honors that. Amen? I believe that God honors it. I, as a pastor, would not go against a father or a mother or a brother or someone who wanted to be baptized biblically, and it may not have been the exact same ceremony that I would have done. Kind of like a marriage. Two people still come in covenant relationship. I personally would have done it this way. But if it does not conflict with the word of God, it's important. Or just as important, remember we, uh, maybe we talked about this on Wednesday. You get a peace about it when you pray. God has not convicted us about it. As long as it is word, I believe that God will honor it. But I want to share with you why we here at this church baptize the way we do. Because we believe it is biblical. Let us examine the Bible to see how the apostles applied this great commission to those that they baptized. Remember, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Do you remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. This may be a good example for you, I hope. Remember when he said, they said, teach us to pray, Master. And he said, okay, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And he continued with that but what happens is, whenever we pray, I'm not sure that I hear people at the altar reciting that exact prayer. Do you? Every time someone prays? You can talk back to me. Do people, Maybe they do. Not everybody. But some do. I've heard people recite the prayer. But I've heard some not. But Jesus said, this is how you pray. Right? So, is it wrong to repeat what Jesus said? He said it. Is it wrong to get a revelation that we pray in this manner? Right? It's not wrong. I don't believe anyone is convicted that prays and says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. After all, those are the words of Jesus. I don't believe anyone is convicted when someone wants to pray and they refer to that prayer and they interpret it as Jesus was saying, give reverence to God whenever you pray. Thank him for your daily bread. Always have a spirit of thanksgiving and you pray in that manner. I hope that helps you a little bit. 
Maybe not. Let it stew around in there a little bit. Let us see how the disciples and the apostles baptized. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38 says this. And be baptized, every one of you, Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 8.12. You may just have to jot these down because I'm just going to go through these. Acts 8.12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 8, verse 16. For as yet he, talking about the Holy Spirit, was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 19.5, when they heard this, the preaching of the word, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.3, know ye not that, as, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now when I look at some of these scriptures here, I'm seeing a little bit of a conflict. Some, maybe even most, don't really care. <laughs> but when I look at it, I go back to Matthew 28 and I look at Jesus' words. Because they're written in red. All right, we're a little sleepy this morning. That's all right. He said, go ye therefore, teach all nations... Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's King James. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's more scriptures that I could have looked up, but those scriptures I just read there, none of those disciples or apostles said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Maybe you heard it, but when I read it, I didn't see it. I'm still looking at it. I don't see it. It says, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I'm saying to myself, Jesus said one thing, they're doing something else. So either one of two things has to be. You know, with the God, it's, the, it's black and white. You know, I know in our society we have a lot of gray. But sometimes it's just black or white. It's either one or the other. Either the disciples and the apostles are being disobedient because he said one thing and they're doing something else. So that has to be a possibility. Either they're being disobedient or they have some revelation of what Jesus said and they're doing it exactly the way they believe Jesus told them to baptize. One of those two things has to be true. What's well, so on one side of the equal sign has to be on the other side. That's what equal means. Okay? And so we need to figure out which is it. Well, I don't believe that in the word of God, the Lord would have allowed the disciples to be disobedient and then left it for an example for us to do. So there must be a, rever a deeper revelation here. Well, even though Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 to baptize in the name, he just said the name, one name, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, 
The only name that all the apostles ever baptized in was the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Were they being disobedient? Or did they understand something? Well, here's what they understood. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not names. If you ask me, Michael, what's your dad's name? And I responded, Father. You would say either you're lying or that's kind of strange that your grandmother named your dad father. He is your father, but that's not his name. So father is a title. Son is a title. Even Holy Ghost. I know, I know. But titles do not speak to the relationship. They Actually, titles do speak to the relationship, but names speak to the covenant. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost have but one name. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, baptize in the name. Whenever Jesus says that, I take note. Just like when he said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. To me, that's saying there's only one truth. There's only one way. And there's only one life. And so, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Well, turn to Exodus chapter 13. I was just going to give you these scriptures, but let's just go to them. So at least you'll see where I'm coming from. At least you'll see where I'm coming from. The name of the Father. What is it? Exodus chapter 13. All right, we're going to look. Exodus 13, is that the right one? 16. It's not the one I'm looking for. Jeremiah. Sorry, making you go forward. Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 16. All right. We're talking about the name. What are these names? What are these names? Jesus is saying that these are titles. Let's look at Jeremiah, what did I say? Chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. The Father, the Lord. Father is a title. The Lord is his name. Well, what is the name of the Son? I mean, I would hope that I don't have to go to Scripture to prove that out. I mean, we could. Matthew 121 and 25, Luke 131. I could go on with a bunch of scriptures. The name of the Son, Jesus. And the Holy Ghost. Look at Luke. I want, this was one I want to show you. Look at Luke chapter 4. Christ is interpreted the anointed one. And his anointing. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. You have it? Say, I have it. Okay. Most of us are there. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus was saying, I am the anointed one and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. How you are anointed is by the Spirit of God being upon you. See, in the Old Testament, the oil was a representation of the Holy Spirit that was to come. The oil of the anointing spiritually now is the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God. So Christ, being interpreted the anointed one, was filled with the Holy Ghost. That was his anointing. What's the name of the Father? The Lord. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Christ, or the Anointed One. Thus, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is how every apostle and every disciple ended up baptizing. Now, what if they repeated what the Lord said? The Lord Jesus. What if they said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Well, I don't, I don't think they would have been incorrect. What if they in their revelation, understood that he was saying name and Lord Jesus Christ and said, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think they would have been incorrect. We here at this church, because of what I just showed you here, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do it that way, because of this revelation. How important is that name? Well, Acts 4.12 says, there is, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Philippians 2.9 and 10, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. The name of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And for me that includes water baptism. That is why we do it that way here, in case you were wondering. Water baptism has a lot to it, doesn't it? Name, covenant relationship, circumcision. Jesus complimented two churches that regarded his name in an uncompromising way in the book of Revelation. Church at Pergamos for holding fast to his name. It's in Revelation chapter 2. And then over in chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia for not denying his name. Jesus takes his name very important. It's very important, the name of Jesus. Jesus told the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, he said, thou hast a name that thou livest by, but thou art dead. You see, many religions put other names in high stature other than the name of Jesus. They put the name of their denomination, they put the name of the founder of the denomination. They'll put all of these things up, either on equal stature or even above the name of Jesus. 
But how many know this is the church of Jesus Christ? We call ourselves the Life Church. Someone calls themselves Southern Hills Baptist Church. Someone calls themselves Bethel. Someone calls themselves Second Baptist. But guess what? If you are a church, you're the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. He being the head, we being the body. It's his thing, not ours. It's all about Jesus. And therefore, to be baptized or circumcised into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to bear the name of your heavenly Father and therefore obtain a birthright to a heavenly inheritance, folks. Hebrews 9.15, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. To be baptized, circumcised of the heart, we, see, we receive a right to the internal, eternal inheritance. Romans 8.17, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Now, you say, man, that's a lot to baptism. Okay, that's interesting. Taking some of that in, some of that I got to think about. But guess what? There's more. I know, I'm ready to go too. We're almost done. But we must be on the same page. There's just a little more. When should a believer be baptized? It's a good question. <laughs> Heard somebody say as soon as possible. <laughs> All right, Elder, you're right. <laughs> That's pretty good. When should a person, human being, be baptized? Another good question. Well, Scripture tells us. Acts 2.38 tells us that as soon as repentance takes place, because Peter said what? Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.41 says when they received the word gladly, then they were baptized. Acts 8. 9, 10, 16, and 19, various passages of Scripture in there talk about when they had a believing heart, then after that, they were baptized. Now, you might say, where are you going with this part of it? Here's where I'm going with it. Since infants have not yet experienced the new birth, it is impossible for them to identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. Remember the very first scripture we read? It talked about baptism being identifying with Christ, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? That's, that's identification. And infants, it's impossible for them to identify with the death and burial of Jesus Christ or anything else that water baptism stands for. Infants have no perception of repentance. If you don't believe that, then you probably don't have kids. <laughs> they need to be coerced to repent. <laughs> Baptizing infants is really not biblical. Let me take the word really out of that. Baptizing infants is not biblical. Now, what happens if you were baptized as an infant? It doesn't mean you're going to hell. Maybe it was done out of ignorance, and that's not a down. I mean, I'm ignorant about a lot of things. That just means you don't have knowledge about a certain subject or revelation. That's all it means. 
So maybe it was done that way. Jesus himself was dedicated as an infant. You remember that? He was taken to the temple. And then he was circumcised because it was still under the old covenant. Given his name. And he was dedicated. But he was, when was he baptized? During his manhood. When he went to John. In fact, Jesus was about 30 years old by the time he got baptized. Then he received the Holy Spirit. Now, I won't go into that. He received it a little bit differently than we do. We receive it with fire. It was like a dove coming to him. Okay. That's a different teaching. Different teaching. So you say, okay, that's really good. You're talking about the name. You're talking about circumcision talking about infants i can see what you're saying there mike that uh you know infants really shouldn't be baptized and you say wow that's a lot okay that's good but guess what there's more the word baptism comes from a greek word actually a couple of greek words baptismo or baptizo it's a greek word baptizo now that word means to submerge to cover entirely with a fluid to make fully wet. As the word itself implies and scripture confirms, water baptism is to be ministered by complete immersion. You might, some of you might say, well, that's, yeah, I, you know, I, that's why I've seen people get baptized. I've seen them get baptized that way. But you'll also hear people talk about sprinkling. Anybody ever heard of that? Sprinkling is obviously not the same thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about sprinkling to baptize. In fact, this word's definition in and of itself indicates that we must be fully wet. The very first scripture we read talks about being buried with him in baptism. Can you see that scripturally where immersion is biblical? John 3.23 says, And John was baptizing in Anon near Solom because there was much water there. If you were going to be sprinkled, why would you need much water? Much water is not needed for sprinkling. Mark 1.10, it says, And straightway coming up out of the water, this is Jesus when he was baptized, straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. To me, that indicates he was down below the water. When he came up out of the water, he was not sprinkled. Sprinkling or pouring water over parts of the body is not the same thing as total immersion. Sprinkling does not represent being buried with Christ. Immersion does. If a Christian was baptized incorrectly at some point in their life, this goes back to what if you were baptized as a child? What if you were sprinkled upon? or even baptized by immersion as a child, should you be rebaptized correctly? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> Acts 18 and Acts 19 shows us just a group of believers. They were baptized with John's baptism. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, okay? Paul ordered them in the scripture now to be rebaptized. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they were rebaptized, they received the Holy Ghost. They spoke in other tongues. They prophesied. 
Incorrect water baptism deprived them of a proper spiritual development and a significant spiritual blessing. So if you're a person who's been through that, maybe you were baptized as a child. Maybe you're not sure how you were baptized. Maybe you don't even remember it. Should you get rebaptized? Well, first thing I would tell you is pray about it. The Lord will tell you. You'll be convicted in your heart. And then I would say, yes, I encourage you. And then you may say, well, what if I've already been baptized and then I get baptized again? Does it cancel out the first one? No. You just got a double portion, that's all. 